0: When this whole world starts a- getting me down And people are just too much for me to face I'll climb way up to the top of the stairs And all my cares just driven right into space Peaceful as can be, and there the world below don't bother me. No, no.
1: So when I come
0: home, feeling tired and deep.
1: I'll okay, then, go hello, away. good people. Yeah. It's Mark Baber again at long last with. Episode three of my podcast adventure that we're calling Begging to Differ. It's in the works here, and I guess since you're listening, it's out there in the world for people to consume. Uh, Today, uh, I've got a special guest with me to help create what we're both hoping will be a truly helpful podcast That special guest, I didn't have to fly her in or anything like that. I'm with her a whole lot. It's my wife, Janie Baber. So Janie, say hello and welcome to the podcasting world.
2: Hi, everybody.
1: Is that all you can do? (laughs) You got any more than that? This is
2: uh, new. I got a learning curve going on here, y'all, so bear with me.
1: All right. Uh, And let me say one thing, one thing I learned in uh, speech class and... uh, preaching classes that I took years ago was never apologized for anything, but I didn't always pay attention in class. I paid attention enough to learn that, but I'm apologizing for a summer cold that makes me sound maybe like I'm, uh, my head is in a uh, vacuum cleaner or something like that, but that's that if you're wondering why I sound so funky. Uh, Janie and I want to uh, talk today about something that's kind of pretty special to us and it has to do with what it, at one time for us was uh, a personal secret for me and a family secret for the two of us. And to lead into it, I want to just give you a quote from a wonderful, wonderful book that I've recently read by an author named Frederick Buechner. Uh The title of the book is uh, Telling Secrets, and it's a memoir that Frederick Bigner uh, who's written probably 30 books, and novels, and other kinds of literature of a theological nature, but Frederick Bichner, uh in this memoir tells some really un- unbelievable personal stories from his uh, life about his father committing suicide, which is a very shameful thing to their family, and his mother living with alcoholism, himself with a daughter with anorexia that almost drove him crazy, and some of his own really uh, revealing secrets. And it's a powerful, powerful memoir. And one quote in there uh, that really has struck me is this. Bigner says, I not only have my secrets, I am my secrets. And you are your secrets. Our trusting each other enough to share them with each, with each other has much to do with the secret of what it is to be human. What a great quote. And and I guess what Janie and I want to do today is kind of enhance our own humanness and being fully alive by sharing with you some of our, uh, what was one time a family secret, but it's kind of out in the world right now. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about uh, our once very deeply guarded secret and some steps that we took to get on a path toward a richer, deeper, more meaningful life journey. A life journey that, uh, actually helps us just feel fully alive and, and maybe more human than we'd ever felt before. Back in episode one, a few weeks ago, I talked about falling forward or failing upward. And, uh, and in that I talked about my secret and that was that as a Southern Baptist minister, I was also uh, to my dismay uh, for a little while a practicing alcoholic. I'm really happy to be able to say that I'm uh, that, um, just one month short of 17 years sober as we call it in the recovery community, 17 years since I've uh, last had a drink and man, it's been a great journey. I hadn't really lost anything I've, it's all been gained. And there are reasons that uh, we've been able to experience in our family uh, this success. And so what Janie and I want to do is talk for a little while today about some of the things that have come into our life and that we've embraced that kind of helped us to have a, a pretty good and successful story and a, a much more feeling alive or human. So I'm going to turn it over to Janie right now. She's going to uh, tell some of our story from her view. So, Janie, uh, it's all yours.
2: Thanks. Um, well, 17 years ago, I was a pretty miserable person. I think we both were, and uh, really confused and uh, angry and resentful uh, towards the alcoholic in my life. And, uh, you know, we had been going to see a counselor on an outpatient basis in an adjoining city and he had emphasized to us over and over and over again uh mark you need to go to aa jenny you need to go to al-anon and we said you know i'm sure that's helpful for some people but we're not some people you know we have a spiritual background we can lick this and all that kind of thing and uh Also, just the fear of being uh, our identity being compromised. You know, we've been guarding this secret very carefully for a while, and we sure didn't want it to get out in the community, uh, you know, and jeopardize uh, Mark's livelihood and ministry. And um, so we were really reluctant to go. And um, so we finally gave in when things hit a crisis uh, point, and we were kind of pushed to. uh, you know, do something, and, um, and, and I think we, you know, even without the crisis, we, we needed help. We, we desperately recognized we weren't making any progress, really, for any length of time. Um, so, anyway, we, I, I attended my first uh, Al-Anon meeting, and um, it was so helpful, you know, uh, I would say I cried through the first two or three meetings, uh, and most people do, and, uh, or a lot of people do, and, you um, but, you know, one thing I couldn't uh, realize, too, is I'd get I'd come in, and people were drinking coffee and laughing and talking and hugging each other, and they seemed really happy. And that seemed weird to me. You know, I kind of wanted to shake people by the shoulders and say, hey, uh, don't you realize my life is falling apart around me? Uh, come on, let's get a grip here with all this laughing and jovial stuff and... um But anyway, as I came, you know, and people were so kind and compassionate uh, because they'd been there. They'd walked into a meeting for their first time just like I had and not knowing who I'd see there and what, you know, would be uh, required of me or anything like that. But Al-Anon, which is the companion uh, program to AA, is a 12-step program. And there are meetings in most cities in, um, in the United States, and certainly in Arkansas, there are many. And I'll give you a website information later where you can find where meetings are, where they're held, the times and places. But, um, you know, people were so uh, understanding. And that, that was the thing. I hadn't realized how much I had isolated myself, you know, because I was so afraid that someone would find out. And it was just driving me crazy trying to fix my alcoholic. And uh, I, I got so many good uh, insights into these rooms. I go to these meetings and, and it was very um, confidential, you know, and, and uh, anonymity is, is really protected there. And, and I was able just to be myself and, and, uh, and to listen. I didn't really have to say anything. And you don't, you know, ever. It's all voluntary to speak or not to speak. And I, I could hear such uh, good insight and wisdom, uh, such good recovery from uh, these people in this circle and, and uh, wonderful tools and everything. And it would be impossible in a short podcast to tell you all the wonderful things about Al-Anon and AA and the things we've learned, but we'll try to highlight a few uh, during this broadcast. But it's it's a day I, in a time of my life, when I first came in, I would hear people say, you know. Um, this is the best thing, the gift of alcoholism, you know, the gift of desperation, the best thing that ever happened to me. And I frankly was not buying that at first. I was like, that's a load of hockey, you know. But uh, 17, almost 17 years removed now, as I look back on it, I realize it has been a gift. And uh, because the tools I've learned in 12 step living apply to anything in my life, you know, in the workplace when I was still working and I I didn't have any, there were things I couldn't control, um, you know, or or was trying to fix, um, or I use it now only with my uh, adult children. Uh, My alcoholic's been clean and sober for 17 years, but, you know, there are a lot of people in my life that, you know, make choices that I think, is that really the best thing or whatever? And this program helps me to have the courage to mind my own business and and to say hands off, you know. So anyway, I'm I'm glad we're talking about it today. It's really been a gift to me and something that I uh, really highly recommend to anybody that uh, loves an alcoholic or an addict.
1: Okay, let me uh good good start, Jenny. And let me just say that we're not assuming that everybody that might listen to this is a an alcoholic or married to one or an addict, but Here's something that you probably all know, and it is that there's probably no family in all of America that, in some way, is not impacted by the devastating effects of addictions. And it can be alcohol, drugs, food, sex, porn, uh, any number of things that can be a an addiction that just throws a wrench into the works of family dynamics and and being authentically human. So uh, that's one of the reasons we kind of wanted to talk about this is because it's such a pervasive thing in our society. In fact, I was doing just a little uh, internet research, which, of course, you can trust everything you ever read on the internet, but I found what I think is a pretty reliable website about addiction statistics, and they're suggesting that there's as many as 21 million addicts in the United States of America. That's a big chunk of our 300 million, and it really does impact a lot of families. So there's no way we could be exhaustive today in covering this subject, and no way would should you think or do we want to give the impression that we're all of a sudden like addiction experts, because we're not. We're just travelers on a journey, and we're just sharing out of our story and our secret. But uh, what we want to do in the next few minutes is just share some of the kind of key lessons, insights, or strategies that Janie and I have learned in our 17 years on the recovery journey. And the first subject, and we're just freelancing, we don't have any notes on this or anything like that, but the first subject that I think wound up kind of turning the light on for both of us is uh, an idea called the disease model of addiction. And so... uh, In short, before I turn it back over to Janie, I went to a treatment center where I had some intensive uh, learning experiences and, and educational opportunities to learn about addictions. And I there got introduced to the disease model of addiction, which to put it in short terms, in terms everybody understand, typically if you're an addict or an alcoholic and it's wrecking havoc in your life and others, you begin to think of yourself not as a person with a a disease, but as, for lack of a better term, maybe a son of a bitch, or just a worthless human being. And a lot of shame and guilt is associated around your behaviors. And the light started coming on for me when I got introduced to the concept that well, maybe what I have is a disease. And uh, that was not to relieve me of any uh, responsibility for bad decisions or, or, poor moral choices, it still just turned another light on it. So let me shut up about that right now. Janie, why don't you just weigh in about how you came to understand addiction as a disease and how that helped you on your journey and maybe help you in your relationship with me, which we're working on 42 years and we, we're confident we're going to make it another day or two.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know... All insurance companies now recognize alcoholism and addiction as a disease, and they help pay for treatment. Uh, The medical association and and, uh, community all, you know, understand now that it is a disease. And um, so Al-Anon and AA embrace that as well. And um, so that was really helpful. My my father uh, also suffered from the disease of alcoholism, and that really helped me. He's deceased now, but... um, You know, it really helped me to think about my childhood and family of origin and growing up with a a lot more compassion. And um, I would go to open AA meetings and hear speakers speak and tell their story, and uh, I would have such compassion towards them and think, gosh, this must be horrible, suffering from the effects of this disease. I was still mad as heck uh, toward Mark, so it was, you know, hearing other people talk about their disease really... Uh, helped me, but um, yeah, so I, I've embraced that. And um, you know, we wouldn't blame an epileptic or a diabetic for being, you know, say, "Hey, don't ever have another seizure, don't you?" You know, you don't need insulin. You know, we wouldn't uh, berate anybody of any kind of disease, and so we can't belittle uh, alcoholics and addicts either for their uh, disease. And um, you know, it is their responsibility to seek treatment and to seek help, but, uh, you know, that's not really my job. Uh, my job is to take care of me, and uh, Al-Anon really helped me to do that. You know, I, I love to use the illustration um, when the uh, flight attendant gives the instructions at the beginning of a flight and talks about those oxygen masks falling down from a compartment of overhead, and which I think I would die of a heart attack if that happened, but anyway... Um, they say put it on your own face first before uh, you help others around you like small children or elderly or whatever. And that's really what Al-Anon is. is it helps you work on yourself and your own uh, spiritual journey and everything. And um, so I think that's really helpful to to think about that uh, model, too, that you really can't be of any help to anybody else if you're if you're going under yourself, and that's what al has helped me do. So the disease model was a, a real turning point for me, too. To it. Unfortunately, I grew up in a background, a faith background, that either intentionally or unintentionally, somehow I got the message that it was a moral issue. It was all about, you know, if, if they wanted to, they could change, uh, you know, and that it was a mo- all about morals, right and wrong. And uh, when I begin to let go of that some and have more compassion towards the alcoholics in my life, uh, it it really made a huge difference.
1: All right. Good stuff. I want to weigh in uh, just a little bit on on the dis-ease model and uh, disease. Uh, I kind of gave myself away there. It helped me to start thinking about just kind of breaking that word apart and call it dis-ease. And uh, dis is a word, you know, when you... You kind of, when you're dissing somebody, you give them a hard time. It helps me to think about uh, myself with a disease of alcoholism is that when it was most active in my life was when I was not easy with who I was as a human being. And uh, for whatever reasons, uh, you know, sometimes us us humans feel stuff broken inside of us or, or any number of reasons why we're just you know, just not feeling good about who we are. And it's an odd thing how substances can sometimes change that feeling. Not sometimes, but for us pretty much all the time, change that feeling. And so I was at dis-ease with who I was as a human being. And I think that's why maybe the adding of a substance that in normal circumstances that people use just as a part of their social life and doesn't become a problem, wind up for me being a problem because it, it was an, an issue that changed, you know, it just changed me in ways it did in others. And that's true of most addicts, alcoholics, there's some dis-ease in their life and a substance changes that ease, but it doesn't solve the problem. When you get over that change, you still got that dis-ease inside of you. And so what recovery does is get you on a journey that helps you get in touch and uh, be in tune with your real self and and accept yourself as you are and different things like that and, and give you some real strategies for helping uh, overcome the dis-ease that you're always trying to fix or change. Hey, I, Mark, yeah, go I, ahead.
2: I would say too that now one reason I like to tell our story, though well, there are many reasons, and mainly because it helps me to keep my head on straight, but um, one reason is uh, because our, our particular story helps highlight that anybody in any walk of life, any socioeconomic uh, background, mm-hmm. any uh, religious or spiritual yeah, background, any profession can yeah. have that disease. And, um, you know, try to, uh, and then be codependent, uh, you know, trying to fix that person that you love so dearly. And so, you know, I think, because a lot of times people, you know, get the idea, and that's where the shame comes in. If I were a better person, if I trusted God more, if I were, you know, smarter or whatever, I could I could lick this on my own. And I just think that it helps sometimes to realize that, look, the pastor of First Baptist Church, County Seat, Arkansas, uh, became an alcoholic, you know. And so there's a lot more. It's a complicated disease. It's not just um, physical and it's spiritual, emotional. It's got all kinds of facets to it. And so, um, you know, it, there shouldn't be shame in seeking help. And that's what we're talking about today is trying to find some help. And the, and the 12-step program's... Are free. I mean, you can put a dollar in the basket when they pass it at the end, or not if you don't have the money. And it's uh, available and and highly effective. It's been in, established over fifty years. You know, Bill W. and Lois W. founded it, and it's and it works for people. Um, so that's why we want to really encourage people not to think. You know that. Uh, they're hopeless and at the bottom, uh, you know, that they can't reach out for help because it doesn't matter what your profession or your walk or anything, your educational level, it, all people are subject to addiction.
1: All right, then. Good stuff, Janie. We're going to move on then to another subject that we want to address. Obviously, the disease model of addiction is something that a Got that addict in your family that you're concerned about, or if it happens to be you, you may want to really start thinking about that side of it and uh, quit beating yourself up so badly, or maybe quit beating up that person in your family that you love so dearly, or your friend at work that just can't get it together, and and change your paradigm of thinking about addiction, and it might actually have an impact on changing you. So again, to emphasize, we're not assuming that anybody listening to this is an addict or, uh, but we're confident you know one or live with one or have somebody that's very dear to you that is struggling and hopefully that disease model will help you. Then a second thing that uh, we've discovered along the journey for us is, the, is what we call uh, uh, ODAT, one day at a time. And I remember when I first started going to meetings when I was in Atlanta and had to go to about 6 a week uh, in the early days and and still to this day when I go to meetings and they'll uh, award people uh, chips or a coin for marking their time in the program and typically after you've been uh, clean for a year then you you give a you know a little speak a uh, speech about how you doing it? And it's invariable that every guy or gal will say, man, I just did it one day at a time. And that's a phrase you hear all the time, one day at a time, or stay in the current moment. And uh, man, I, I early on, I'd hear guys that have been like sober 25 years and I think, man, when are they gonna graduate from this program? I didn't, I didn't think I was signing up for life in a program. Like, I wanna get out of this mess. And, uh, and they're still coming back and they're still saying things like one day at a time. Well, one day at a time is just kind of a way to say there's really power and there's really help in living in the current moment before I throw it back to Janie I just want to say one one thing I think I've learned about living life one day at a time what what I learned was this is that there's really kind of three times that exist there's yesterday there's tomorrow and there's right now and as long as I can keep my focus on right now I'm good if I think about yesterday I bring up all this dread or failure or what I did wrong or what I effed up or, or, or you know what was not right about yesterday. And if I live in yesterday, then I get into guilt and shame. If I live in tomorrow, I worry about things like, who's gonna be the next president of the United States, which is something to worry about, just to add a little humor there, okay? <laughs> uh, and I'm not gonna take sides here other than to say, man, I'm worried about how this thing turns out and we hope it turns out good. But I can get in a real mess uh, today by worrying too much about what maybe happens in November, and uh, so so in short, this this notion of living one day at a time just tries to develop the discipline of making yourself be in the present moment, and don't worry about the past because we can't do anything about that, and don't project into either the wreckage or the brightness of the future because we can't really control how that happens but stay in today. And if you stay in the current moment, it's amazing how you'll find the strength and the power and the courage to do what you need to do right now in this moment. And so uh, that's how it's helped me so much. And when I find myself in a bad space, I can analyze it and realize, well, you're in a bad space because you're projecting into wreckage of the future or you're worried about some failure from the past and that's not right now. And then right now, I find God. And right now, I find joy. And right now, I find something to be grateful for. Or I find that as bad as something may be right now, it's not the end of the world. And I can stay with it. And I don't have to change the way I feel about right now. I can just feel what's going on right now. And it makes a difference. That may sound like a crock of hawk, but... Hopefully it'll help. And yeah, Janie's, Janie's I'm, an, about I'm an
2: expert at this, uh, projecting into the wreckage of the future. Uh, it's often called worry, and I can be sort of obsessively worried about it. And uh, I think Mark's pretty well covered that uh, section. But um, I like to think about there's now and there's not now. The not now includes yesterday and tomorrow. But the now, you know, so you have, have to ask yourself, is, it, is that now or is that not
1: now? You remember, Janie, where we uh, heard that? We were actually watching uh, 2020 or something like that, and there was a story of a woman with a little boy who had a terminal cancer, and uh, he was going to die. And I think she was talking to the reporter, and and uh, they, they said they'd learned that there's only two times. There's now and there's not now. And the little boy would come in, now when is it that I'm going to die, Mama? And she'd say, not now. And he'd go, okay, and then go <laughs> off plane. Yeah, So. Yeah. So the now and not now is yeah. a really powerful. And just,
2: you know, in Al-Anon, we say, just do the next right thing for right now. And and usually things, that helps you make decisions and put one foot in front of the other. And really, the next right thing, if, if you're obsessing about somebody else's drinking and drugging and it's just driving you crazy, for me, the next right thing would be find a meeting and uh, try to go to a meeting.
1: All right. Okay, so we've talked about uh, living life one day at a time and the disease model of addiction. we got one more point we want to make today before we kind of put a wrap on it, and uh, we may have to come back to this. It's a pretty exhaustive, pretty big subject, and maybe I'll bring Janie back if we, if we get some good feedback from y'all on this, and and uh, we'll talk some more about what we've discovered on our journey. But, but the third thing we want to emphasize to anybody who loves an addict or who may be one or is your life is being negatively impacted by addiction. And that is, you cannot do this thing alone. Most addicts like to isolate. And, and it's is true then that most people who love one are being embarrassed by one or whose life is in, a, in just absolute turmoil because of the actions of an addict, which can just be dreadful to a family what people try to do in that is isolate, withdraw, go inward and be alone and try to nurture a secret and hopefully it'll just go away. It's, it's sometimes we call it denial. And it's like, if we ignore this problem, it won't go away. It's the old elephant in the room syndrome. You know, We'll talk about everything in our lives except this elephant that's in the room and that elephant sometimes is the addict or the addiction. And so the point though right now is you can't do this thing alone and and i know for for two or three years there where Janie and i were dealing with the fact that we knew and we'd talked among one another that i had a problem we thought man we'll just manage this we'll we'll deal with it and and i tried like crazy and 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 we just tried to be private and do it alone and finally discovered you just can't and the point is you need a healing community right. there's not like a doctor you can go to that can give you a pill or a shot that you're gonna get over this disease, it's, it's healed by taking the risk and the vulnerability to get into a healing community. And, exactly. before, yeah, and before I throw it back to Janie, I wanna just say this one thing, the one thing that I discovered after I finally got enough humility and brokenness and loss of a job and career to, to sort of have the desperation to reach out to that healing community, is what I've learned is every single person that ever gets involved in recovery, they get there on a losing streak. Nobody ever shows up after like several wins. You you get there in times of loss. And what that means is it puts us all on level ground. And you get to the healing community and you start telling your story and you realize, man, they, they they've been here too. Everybody's there and it's like a... Uh, a group of lepers getting together, I guess, or I don't know, that may be a bad illustration, but just people with a common problem rally together looking for a common solution, and the healing community happens to contribute more to your healing than anything else you can do. So uh, that's right. Janie, weigh in right. there. On that yeah,
2: the, I think that's right. so important. And, um, you know, I always encourage people when they start coming to uh, Al Anon or 12 uh, step meeting. Uh, to To listen for the things in common that you have in common, um, you know, because you can sit there all you want and say, uh, oh, well, that's not my situation. Oh, I'm not like them. I'm not like them. But if you start listening for the things you have in common, you'll find those things. And, um, uh, and these people have walked this uh, journey and, and realize you know that they've got some wisdom if you'll listen and, and look for the things you have in common. Uh, I want to mention the websites right now quickly, too, because um, the national website for Al-Anon is, uh, Al Anon is al or hyphen rather, al-anon.org. And they're also on Facebook at Al Anon WSO on Facebook and Twitter. And there's lots of good resources there that you could find and find meetings. And then Arkansas has a great website too. Uh, and it's Arkansas, spell the site out, uh, no space, and then AlAnon, no hyphen. So A R K A N S A S A L A N O N dot org and you can find meetings all over our state, and it, it gives you the times and the locations. It also gives you the first name of somebody and a telephone number you can call, even if you if you want to talk to somebody first. So um, those would be things I would encourage people to do, and um, just just go to that first meeting and, and see what it's like. Another thing we say in Al-Anon is, Try to go to at least six meetings before you make up your mind. Go with an open mind uh, and go to six meetings before you decide whether Al Anon can be of help to you or not. Because I was in terrible shape when I got there, emotionally and spiritually, in every every way. And um, so you need some time to get your you know to get yourself together and to be able to hear what's being said. And also, like any organization or program, it has its own lingo a little bit. So if you've never heard deta- about detachment or enabling or codependency or, uh, you know, any of those things, uh, then denial. Then, you know, it takes you a while to learn learn some of the vocab and stuff. But I, I would say, you know, it, it, it doesn't cost you anything. So d- d- give it a try.
1: All right. Janie you should have been a salesperson in life. You're good, I'm sold. I think I'm gonna go myself. <laughs> and, uh, just trying to have a little fun with my bride. She is, she's passionate about this. And I think a beautiful thing for our journey together is it's amazing. And al and I, found, I thought they were sitting there figuring out how to uh, fix me. And, and oddly, they don't even talk about the, the addict in the, in the picture. And uh, it's amazing how I started getting much better when Janie started working on herself. Yeah, exactly. uh, And the same thing is true when I was able to pay attention to uh, my dis-ease. It it freed her up to focus on some of her issues, and she got much better. So we're going to put a wrap on this thing. Uh, One one thing, just another phrase I want Janie to respond to very quickly. I'll give you about a minute on this one. Is another phrase we use. It's called... Progress, not perfection. What does that mean? And then I'll put a wrap on it when you finish, Jenny.
2: Well, just that, look, we're going to mess up, Um, you know, and uh, the alcoholic or the addict may mess up. You know, they may not be as blessed to have 16, 17 years of uh, straight sobriety. There may be some slips, as we call them, and some relapses. Uh, when I relapse, I I don't, you know, uh, put anything else into my body, but I go to that stinking thinking place in my head. I start imagining things and creating stories in my head and scenarios and responding to things that really aren't true or accurate. And I start nagging, you know, I relapse into nagging and not minding my own business and all that stuff. And it puts me in as bad a place really, uh, as, as the alcoholic or the addict. And, um, so, you know, I have to just do the best I can day to time. And when I fall in and when I mess up, I just pick myself up and, and start all over again. And, uh, and all of these, I would like to say, too, Al-Anon really focuses on alcoholism. That's really our, our main purpose. But, but all of these principles can transfer to other kinds of uh, addictions and obsessions. And I don't know many Al-Anon groups that I'm aware of that don't welcome people uh, who are dealing with loved ones with any kind of uh, addiction you know to come and t- to sit in their meetings
1: all right thanks Janie thanks so much for doing this with yeah. me today and yeah. uh, maybe we'll it. if we get some good feedback we may we may do some more of this you know I started out by uh, giving you that quote from Frederick Biner telling secrets and uh, it, it's really been true in our journey that it's amazing how when when the secret gets out then that secret, Loses its power over you, and uh, and and sometimes we also say, you know, you're as sick as your secrets, and it doesn't mean you have to tell the whole world like we're obviously willing to do today or tell a hundred people in the world that might listen to this. But uh, telling secrets frees one up to uh, not have to live out of that secret. So, look, folks, you listened, and we thank you for paying us that amazing compliment to uh, sit through 35 minutes of this pass it on to somebody else you know and love that that might be helped by these thoughts and uh, we'll come back at you again soon maybe with some more uh discussion about our journey of recovery and it's a real pleasure to kind of uh share these moments with you thanks again
0: staring at the pictures of the runaways on Seems like these days you could run away at all And even if you did what you got to run away to Just another drunk daddy with a white man's point of view I can see you in my mind's eye catching light sleep beside the river if we make it out of town at night Strip in Portland from the day you turned 16. You got one thing to sell: Men's Opiates. Ten years ago, I might have seen you dancing in a different light and offered up my help in different ways. But those were different days. Those were different days.